0: Now, before you sit down, if you're married or engaged, I want you to hug your honey, guys. I want you to hug her, and I want you to whisper this sweet nothing in her ear. Are you ready? It's going to get rough in here, babe, but I still love you. And then you can be seated. Well, last year we talked an awful lot about the men's role and responsibilities in the home, didn't we? With the Protect Your House series. And this is really Protect Your House Part 2. When we're focusing on the women, the wives, and their roles in the home. And, And so I'm really excited about this. A little nervous because usually the man preaching on the woman is not a good combination for any man. But uh, we're going we're gonna to be extremely, you talk about having the most biblical sermon you're going to have all year. It's coming. Now, there's no way we're going to get through all six verses this week. We're probably not even going to get through it next week. But we will get through all six verses because this is a cool, cool passage directed at, at wives, mostly who had unsaved husbands. And how do you live with an unsaved husband? However, I think the principles apply to all of us. All right? So here we go. 1967, this lady, Aretha Franklin, came out with a hit song in 1967. Anybody know what that hit song was? Oh, yeah. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Tell me what you think of me, you know? Man, it's, it, was a, it was a song sung. About it was a declaration from a strong, confident woman who knew everything that she wanted, and she has everything that her man wants, and she knows everything that her man wants. Now I know I'm talking to some women here who think you know what your man wants. By the way, fellas, this should be a good sermon to watch where you amen. I want to try to make it better for you, not worse here, all right? And an inappropriate amen could make this a long Memorial Day weekend. You understand what I'm saying? However, I do think this is appropriate. We did this the first service. If you will hold her hand, because you don't want to embarrass her publicly, but if you do believe that there's truth or validity to what I'm saying and it resonates with you and you just want her to know and you just squeeze her hand. Now you don't have to do what some did in the first service, do this, you know, that kind of thing. You just kind of give them a little squeeze and let them know. So in 1967, man, Aretha sang that song. We all know it 20, 40-something years later, 45 years later. Man, we still R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That song, man, and it's just about this strong woman knowing what she wants, getting what she wants, you know, and that kind of thing. However, did you know that the song was originally written in 1965, not 1967? It was written by Otis Redding, not Aretha Franklin. Oldest Redding wrote it from the vantage point of a desperate man who'll give his woman anything she wants. He won't care what she does to him as long as he gets his due, R S P E C T, when he comes home. It was about a man desperate for respect. Now, I just kind of want to let us all in on a On a cue, the song sung by the man was different than the song sung by the woman. The lyrics were changed to fit each group. I just want you to know, men and women have two different ideas about R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The women generally think, well, I'll just love my husband. And if I just love my husband enough, then my husband will be what I need him to be. I don't know where you got that idea. But that is not a good idea. See, what your husband needs, now he may like it that you love him, but I'm telling you, ladies, what your husband needs from you is R E S P E C T. He needs you to R S, you need to R E S P E C T, your M A N, and I'm not spelling it anymore. I may spell a word that nobody needs to hear, all right? We're talking about respect. Ladies, please understand that what your husband needs more than your love, admiration, and devotion is your respect. Now, that's kind of a hard thing. Because in the Bible, ladies, you are nowhere commanded To love your husband. Some of you are going, that's a good thing. (laughs) Because God, I think, knew that loving your husband, loving your man, comes natural to you. What comes unnatural to you is honoring your husband, honoring your man. And fellas, what comes hard for you is what you are told many, many times in the scriptures to do, and that is to love your wives. in a meaningful way that connects and meets to her. Turn to First Peter chapter 3. Ladies, you need to understand the fundamental difference between you and your man. You need love. He needs respect. It's the way we're wired. He wants you to love him, but he needs your respect. The passage tells you, how, this passage tells you how to respect your man in a meaningful way, in a meaningful way that will communicate honor to him. This is a wonderful, wonderful passage. Now, let's just start with the basics. Let's start at the beginning. All right? Marriage is a covenant union given by God for one man and one woman to live together in one lifetime. Don't care what President Obama said, he didn't create marriage, God is the owner of marriage. And it's one man, one woman, for one lifetime. He said, well, what if they truly love each other? The Bible says one man, one woman, lifetime. You, you see, we keep trying to monkey it around with this thing of marriage. And instead of just doing what God tells us to do. Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. By the way, I'm not homophobic, by the way, any more than I'm a murder-phobic, or that I'm a thief-a-phobic, or I'm an adulteraphobic. We all know that adultery is sin, stealing sin, murder sin. I didn't call them sin. The book calls him sin. I'm just telling you what's in the book. I'm also telling you that in the book, homosexuality is a sin. Can a homosexual be saved? Absolutely. Can a murderer be saved? Absolutely. Can a, can a thief be saved? Absolutely. Is the redemption? Yes, there's redemption for all men, regardless of the sin. And by the way... Homosexuality, man with man, is not any more sinful than you fellas stepping out and having an adulterous relationship with somebody else other than your spouse. It's sin. So we got to start at the beginning of this thing, and sometimes it gets a little, we kind of convoluted because we got a, lot of, got a lot of folks who try to just kind of water it down and just kind of make it just, well, whatever you want to do is good. It's okay. It's okay. Hmm. the owner of this thing called marriage has nailed this thing down. And in marriage, just like government, like on your job, like your favorite sports team, in everything, there is this chain of command. And without this chain of command, there's chaos, Right? Turn it or don't turn there. It'll come up on the screen. But write this verse down. You need to study it up a little later. But 1 Corinthians eleven three says, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. We all live in submission, subject to something or someone. You either live in subjection, submission to Christ, or you live in subjection, submission to your own passions. You live in subjection or submission to someone or something. He said, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman Is the man. I can take that. And the head of Christ is God. By the way, read that last sentence again. And the head of Christ is God. Read that out loud. And the head of Christ is God. Read it out loud again. And the head of Christ is God. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are co equal, co eternal, co divine beings in one eternal, co existent deity and, and personality. Yes, they are. See, what this verse is telling us is that in essence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in essence, there is equality. In function, There's not equality. God the Father has a different role and function than God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit has a different role and function than God the Son. And so they're all equal. There is equality of essence. There's just not equality of roles or functions. Are you with me on that one? Hey, you got amen, because this is like ground floor. We're not even to the first verse yet. So there is equality in essence. Let's take your job. If your job has 60 people working for it, all 60 people have equality of essence. They have worth, value, and dignity because they're created in the image of God. And so all 60 people, all 60 have equal or equality of essence. No discrimination, no big me, little you, none of that. They're all equal. However, functionally, in your job, there's one boss. He hires a manager. Manager hires management positions. They hire a supervisor and a team leader. There's human resources, and then there's, there's sales going on. And then there's people who produce the product. Everybody cannot be the owner or there would be no product that got done. Somebody has to provide the vision, the leader. Somebody has to provide the product, the production side. Someone has to sell it, marketing. You got the idea. They're all equal in equality. But they are very different in roles and functions. Are you with me? So we believe in equality. We also understand that there are roles and functions within any organization. The point guard in basketball dribbles the ball 80% of the time. His job, his role, his function, dribble, pass, create scoring opportunities for your team. That's his job. If I was 7 foot like Kevin Garnett, my job would be dunk the ball, dunk the ball, dunk the ball, dunk the ball, dunk the ball. Since I'm 5 foot, 5 foot runt, I just talk about people who are tall. <laughs> Roles and responsibilities. In the home. You have the husband, the wife, and the children. All have equality of essence. All are equal in the sight of God. All are equal in the sight of the law. All are equal under the umbrella of our own constitution of the United States. Husband, wife, children. However, functionally in your home, there is a difference. You have different roles and responsibilities. Ladies, thank The good Lord, men cannot have the children. That's your role. I don't want to have one. I've had two kidney stones. That is enough baby for me. Uh Uh-uh. I got one word for that. Morphine. Let's suppose that your children said, Mom, sit down. We got to talk to you. We're really not pleased with the way y'all are spending the money around here, you little eight-year-old talking like this. You're paying way too many of the bills. You can skip the house payment this month. don't want no big deal. We want more ice cream in the freezer. (laughs) Speaking of ice cream, we think we'd like some candy on top. And mom, you need to get some of them little sprinkles. Let's just have a whole cupboard full. We're tired of seeing mashed potatoes and spaghetti and broccoli, broccoli, So you parents better step it up. Get us what we want. I don't know if that will get you what you want if you're eight years old. I know if my eight-year-old would have talked to me like that, I'll tell you what he was going to get. And it certainly wasn't what he wanted. Because the role of the child is not to tell the parents what to do. The role of the parent is to tell the child what to do. So you understand that in the home, there's equality of essence. But there are different roles and functions, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that in the home. And the purpose of the chain of command is to fulfill the purpose of the owner, and God gives us this chain of command in the home. Now we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse one, it tells you how to respect your man. It says right here, matter of fact, that, that, that phrase, be submissive, is the only verb you'll find or, or action verb in verses one through six. And it says, wives in the same way, and again, he's writing to, to wives of unsaved husbands, he's saying, wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe in word, they may be one without words. We're not going to talk about without words this week, but underline it because we're going to talk about it next week. Without words, by the behavior of the wife. Be submissive. Now, ladies, just go ahead and get it out of you. I know we we bristle at that word because we have let the feminist movement, we have let the liberal, the secularist, define for us what God has already defined for us in his word. This idea of submission is not an oppressive doctrine. It's not like worldwide wrestling where, you know, the guy's got you in a toe foot, head thing, lock kind of thing and you tap out. It's not dominance and it's not oppression. Ladies, it does not mean you're your husband's doormat. But it isn't what the world says it is either. In the Greek, which the Bible was written in, New Testament, here's what it means. By the way, just so we remind you, wives, it means that you are not combative or competitive with his role of providing leadership in the home. That was a good point where nobody should amen right there. Your husband is supposed to provide the leadership in the home. God will judge you men on first your relationship with Jesus Christ and then how well you led your home. Your wife will not stand in front of God and give an account for that. You will stand in front of God and give an account for that. You say, ladies... My hu- or you say, Pastor, my husband just won't lead. And so what you do is you usurp his leadership and step up into leading. You say, well, if he won't do it, I'll do it. I never once in my life look at my wife and said, honey, if you're not going to bear children, I'm going to do it. I'm the guy. Uh -uh. There are different roles and responsibilities. When you marry your husband, when you marry your wife, the Bible uses the word from the book of Genesis chapter 2, help meet. Adam falls asleep. God opens him up, takes a rib out, makes this beautiful, gorgeous, absolutely stunning woman. Adam wakes up. And all of a sudden, he sees the most gorgeous, beautiful woman on the face of this earth. She's absolutely beautiful. She's completely naked. And he says, Oh, what a nap will do. <laughs> and he said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'll no longer, she would be no longer called uh, man or woman because she was taken out of man in this beautiful Hebrew poetry. But in that context, the Bible says that she's to be a helpmeet, not a slave, not a domestic servant, but a helpmeet. A helpmeet is a cool word. It means, and it, and it kind of tracing it back to its etymology and its beginnings, it means completer. So basically, ladies, what it is saying is that your husband is not Superman. He does not have all the strengths. That are needed to run the home. And ladies, you do not have all the strengths needed to run the home. You have strengths and you have weaknesses. You have Men, you have strengths and you have weaknesses. The ideal of marriage is that the the strengths of the man complement the weaknesses of the woman. And the strengths of the woman complement the strengths of the man. So that together they help meet one another. And the two of them are stronger together than they could ever be apart. Now what happens is this, because dating is Shangri-La land, isn't it? Life is good when you date, you know what I mean? I had some couples come to me sometimes and they're dating and and they just say, Pastor Mike, we're just fussing all the time, what should we do? I just say, break up. (laughs) But we love each other, what should we do? Break up. I go, no really, what should we do? I say, you got two options, you can quit fussing or you break up. Because once you say I do, one of those options goes away. Because see, when you're dating, there are no no bills to pay, are they? There are no kids to make mind, are there? (laughs) When when you get sick when you're dating, the other one just goes home. (laughs) They don't want to see you throwing up. I don't want to get a thermometer. And so dating is this kind of shangri la 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 land where it's not reality, and all of a sudden you get thrown into marriage where there is stress. And you might as well all make sense or all amen, because marriage is a stressful thing, amen? Usually we... My wife and I, we are terribly far behind in doing this, but, but six months after somebody gets married, we like to take them out to eat, and we'll, we'll sit down and talk with them. We'll go, okay, you guys have been married about six months. How's it going? And they'll look at each other, and they'll look at me, and they'll look at each other, they look at my wife, and, and they'll go, oh, things are going fine, and yeah, and I'll look at them, and I'll look at my wife. And then I'll go, okay, now that we got that out of the way, how's it really going? And one of them will event, will almost immediately say, man, This is harder than we ever thought. And it is. And all of a sudden, the things, the strengths that attracted you to each other, that complemented and completed one another, now you find yourself competing against each other instead of completing each other. Communication goes down the tube because you're competing and you're not completing The strengths that you have, ladies, are never to usurp the authority of your husband, even if you are a better leader than he is. And by the way, if you are a single girl and you say, well, I'm not going to submit to any man, what do I do? Stay single. Don't put a man through it. And if you are a strong woman, I'm telling you, this is true. If you are a strong woman, then you need to marry a strong man. Because if you're a strong woman and you marry a weak man, you will have problems throughout your marriage. You say, well, what if I'm a strong woman and I'm married to a weak man? You're stuck. Get down on your knees and pray. I'm not joking. I'm serious. Because what needs to happen in his life is nothing short than the same transformation that needs to happen in yours. The Bible says be submissive. The word submissive is a beautiful term. The word submissive means, and I tried to make it clear, and, and, and you know how men do sometimes, you try to take something simple and we just overcomplicated it, but pff, there it is. All right. The word submissive means to reverence, to venerate. It, it means to give reverential obedience. Go ahead and... With the obedience word, that's OK. Those are beautiful terms. To reverence, to venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. Let me see if I can break each one of those and unpackage it for you. To venerate means to regard or to treat with reverence as special. It's what you did when you were dating. You treated each other as special. You didn't take each other for granted. You couldn't wait to call. My wife and I started dating long before we had text messages and emails and IM. And we were dating so long ago they didn't even have a post office back then. You know, I mean it was as that long ago. My wife, we it cost long distance and and uh, it was for Skype. And she would talk so slow it would cost twenty five cents just to hear her say my name because she was from from South Georgia. But she made me feel so special. She made me feel so special. Remember how it was when you dated? Oh, man, you couldn't wait to be with each other. To venerate means to regard and to treat with reverence is special. To honor and recognition of positive qualities and to hold in deep respect. And remember when all you saw in your man, ladies, was the positive, the upside? Now I know what you do. I watch you. You roll your eyes when he messes up. You, you're in a car on the way home. Did you get the children? No, I didn't get the children. I thought you got the children. You mean to tell me you didn't get my babies? If they're your babies, you should have got the babies. Well, I know where your babies are. They're in my office eating M&M's, you know? <laughs> the things that we used to think were so special because we stopped somewhere along the way completing each other and we start competing each other. We start looking on the negative more than we do the positive. When you look on the positive side of your man, ladies, you, start, you keep completing him. When you keep looking at the and the negative side, you just keep beating him down and beating him down. Here's the dirty little secret that most men hate to admit. We have very fragile egos. And what you think about us carries the weight of the world. And all the supervisors and all the team leaders and all the owners of the companies can, pre- can, can praise you, your man up one side and down the other, but one negative thing from you can beat him down low. Deference, that's a great word. It's kind of what it means in the Greek and it implies deference. It means respectful submission or yielding to the judgment or the opinion of another. Remember when it was, well, whatever you wanna do is okay with me. Remember those days? Oh, honey, whatever you wanna do. First fight my wife and I ever had. We were coming up Highway 70 from New Bern to Kinston. And it's a long, boring stretch of road Lisa was back then, and they may have—I'm sure—they've added more stuff. But there was only one little strip of place to eat. They had like eight little restaurants right there. I said, "Honey, I'm hungry." She said, "I'm hungry too." So, where do you want to eat? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. Wherever you want to eat. I said, "Oh, it doesn't really matter to me. Wherever you want to eat." You know, we did that whole little Chippendale routine. You know, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. Finally, I'm hungry. We pass Wendy's, we pass a uh, Steak Place, we pass something else. You want to eat that? No, it's whatever you want to eat. wherever you want to eat. The last restaurant on the right, because if you're with me, I don't cross and go to the left side of the road, because we're going down the right side of the road. I'm certainly not going to turn around. <laughs> Amen, guys? All right. You're with me? It's got to be on the right side of the road. The last restaurant on the right side of the road, after passing eight restaurants, was McDonald's. I said, I'd like a Big Mac. She said, I don't really want a Big Mac. (laughs) What? (laughs) Just tell me what you want. Remember those days where we just, in deference, oh, it's whatever you want, sweetheart. It really doesn't matter to me. Now it's salad and oats, you know? I mean, it's just... (laughs) It's going to be a long ride to Dayton, you know, I'm just thinking. (laughs) Reverential obedience carries the idea of deep respect tinged with awe. Reverential obedience has the idea of deep respect tinged with awe. We're going to talk about it next week maybe, but certainly the, the following week when we talk about Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah looked at Abraham, deep respect tinged with awe. Now awe is not a h h h h h h like ah. Really, again ah. Let me show you what awe is. Would would you guys, would you put your arm around your honey? Would you look at her? Some of you are nervous. It's been a while since you've done this. I just want you to look at her, whisper softly. This this you say softly, then I need to hear you say the next one louder. I I want you to say softly, I love you. A little louder so I know you said it. Some, Some of you are doing the Milli Vanilli thing, you know? Say it. Say it. All right, one more time. I love you. And then go, yeah, baby. <laughs> That's tinged with awe that there is still something special in your relationship, that there is still some chemistry, that there is still something that cannot be described because you are so in love with this woman that you just adore her and you so respect your man that it is still, oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) And what's wrong with that? Man, we have let everybody define for us what marriage ought to look like. Why don't we get back to the book and have a few more all babies running around the church, you know? That may not have been the best way to say that, but (laughs) you... You know, sometimes you get on a roll and you just... Keeps rolling. Look at the end of chapter 2. Chapter 2 Chapter Two is this wonderful verse a wonderful chapter on submission. Submission is in the first eighteen verses you have the people of God, the chosen people of God, living in submission to God in verses eighteen through twenty one or so you have employers or employees being in submission to their employers that's slaves and, and masters, and that was the dominant um, industry in that day if you will and so he addresses that in the context of that day and of course that doesn't fit in our day so we lift it out to employee and employer what you need to see is verse 21 of chapter 2 he said to this you were called to this you were called and the next two or three verses goes on to describe the sufferings of jesus christ That Jesus Christ submitted to the calling of God. In essence, equal. Functionally, the roles were different. And in that role, he submitted to the call, to the plan of God the Father. And aren't you glad he did? Because in submitting to that plan, he died on a cross for your sins and my sins. In submitting to the plan of God, he freed us from the curse of sin, death, hell, and the grave. In submitting to that plan, you and I have been able, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, to be set free from the sins that hold us down. So we understand that in the submission of Christ, and when we submit to Him and give Him our life, and live submitted to His will, and live submitted to His Word, that there is greater freedom in living in submission than there is living outside of submission. There is freedom when we submit to the will of God, more ever, more so than when we assert our own will. Because we have to understand that when we follow God's plan, there is freedom, there is joy, there is unlimited power when we do it God's way and not our way. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you speak to our hearts about this whole issue of love and respect.